This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This show is also available as a podcast by going to the RSN website, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. So coming up on this week's show, we're going to be catching up with the coach of the Western Bulldogs in the VFR Women's Competition, Sean Kavanagh. Also on the way. Mariana Graham is going to review the AFL London Women's League Grand Final. Brian Barish is back to recap the USAFL Western Regional Tournament plus the East-West Showdown. Plus we check in with our State League reporters Ant Wingard, Lauren Hodgson and Matthew Cox. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival is the new coach of the Western Bulldogs in the VFL Women's Competition. It's great to have on the line for the first time, Sean Kavanagh. Sean, how are you? Very well. Great, great to be with you. Great to have you on the line, Sean. And the side sitting very nicely at the moment, fourth on the premiership table. Yeah, look, it's, it's, uh, the season flies by. And um, yeah, to, to get to this end of the season and be sitting uh, in that top four with the potential to play some finals footy, which is all, always an aim when we start the pre-season, is fantastic. But we know there's uh, three big games to go and a uh, yeah, huge challenge ahead still. Let's just jump back a moment to the start of the year. How does it feel stepping into the coaching role at the VFLW level, taking over essentially from a legend in Debbie Lee? Oh, look, the word legend is bandied about sometimes, but she, she certainly is back, you know, in, in the women's football space. That's most certainly the case with Debbie Lee. And she's been a fantastic support to me, And um, but hasn't hasn't stood over me by any means. She's let me, uh, you know, find my feet. And um, I've been out to ask her lots of questions along the way and um, just develop a game style that's suitable for, for our group. And, um, yeah, hopefully uh, that assists not only the, the VFL girls in the program, but the AFL girls as they lead up to their new season as well. What was the modus operandi coming into this season? Um, considering, obviously, before the VFLW started, uh, Katie Brennan and Mon Conti, for example, went to Richmond as part of the expansion uh, uh, phase. And uh, Tiana Ernst, of course, moved up to uh, Queensland for her work and is now playing at the Gold Coast. Where essentially you just laid down of, OK, we now have these holes in the side. We need to, A, find from our VFLW list players that can fill those holes, or B, players that are currently with us to try and transition to cover those gaps. Look, I think it's most certainly a case uh, of both points there. Um, look, we came in with a, a brand new, pretty much a brand new, very clean, um, fresh list of VFL girls. And a lot hadn't experienced the, the level before. So to see them progress in their development uh, as the season's gone on is really exciting for the club as well. But likewise, giving the girls in the uh, AFL program the opportunity to have their break early on, come in, play some footy through uh, the course of the year. Uh, we'll get a few more back over the next month, which will make selection a nightmare. But, um, yeah, if we can put the um, our AFL program in the best possible position we can leading into the pre-season, and obviously a very exciting draft period as well, um, that, that's the main role of our program, as well as um, developing the, the young girls in the list as well. Must have been very pleased with the start of the season, a big win over Weemstown in round one, and then I would call some character-building wins, some very tough, close games, getting the chocolates over Geelong and Melbourne University. Look, they that, that were that were incredibly exciting. That's where we saw the penny drop with a lot of our game style. You know, it's a very long pre-season, um, getting the girls together in December and not rolling out till May. So to see it come to fruition um, under real heat, under real competition circumstances, was fantastic. And to get those wins early, we knew that would uh, stand us in good stead because 
injuries and unavailabilities, et cetera, come and go during the course of the year. So we had a bit of a flat spot for a few weeks, but then we found our feet again and we've had a really good last month, which hopefully consolidates us uh, into the back end of the season. Mike, all sides with uh, the AFLW alignment, you've got to rotate the list. So when you're going through that flat spot, can you explain about the number of players that had to be rotated through at that time? Well, everybody on our VFL list has played, plus our, our NAB girls and a couple of other girls that sat on our supplementary list. So we were down to our bare 23 for a couple of weeks um, with availabilities and injuries. So, you know, that was a great opportunity for some of the developing girls to get some uh, some game time against really good sides. Um, but since that period, we've started to, our strength and conditioning team are fantastic, as are our medical team. So we've worked through that, that phase of the season. Now we've basically got a full list to pick from, which is really exciting. So everybody's had the chance to have a taste through the course of the year and, um, yeah, to hold us in good stead as we head towards the uh, the finish line. Uh, the game before the bye, a very big victory over the NT Thunder. And it seems that Ballarat's turned into a happy hunting ground for you. Last year was a big upset over the Geelong Cats and this year just easily uh, swiping aside the Thunder. Oh, look, in the Thunder's defence, um, you know, they had a very young side in. Uh, we had a, a quite experienced side. Um, so, you know, they hung in there all day and we had to really fight our way through. But it was nice to hit the scoreboard. We're not a high-scoring side. We pride ourselves on our defensive side of our game, being tough to play against. So that was nice to, you know, to see the scoreboard ticking a little bit. The girls uh, were certainly up and about after that. So the bye came at a good time just to freshen up. And now we have our, our now mini-season almost. It's a three-week block leading into the back end of the year. And, um, yeah, that, that's just a goal round by round now. Now, before we go into some of the individual players and talk about how they've been playing so far throughout the VFLW season, looking ahead to those three games, on paper, it seems easy, but not quite. You've got one team above you just by percentage, taking on Richmond. But coming up this week and in, then in the final round, you've got Essendon and Darabin. Both of those sides, despite being 10th and 11, have actually hit a bit of a purple patch late in the season. Look, I totally agree with you. I think both side, both of those sides you mentioned are... Um are really probably hitting their straps now. They've had some really good, strong results. Um, you know, Eston jumped out of the blocks against the Saints last week and, you know, just a narrow loss. So, you know, we're highly respectful of all our opposition. And, um, you know, if you, you take your mind off the job for, for half a game for a quarter in this competition, it can really backfire you. So I'm certainly preparing that every week is a final for us. If we want to make it, we've got to, you know, we've got to show that we can play at the level. So we've got three really tough games ahead and um, that's our mindset to really be fresh now after the break. We had a complete week away from the club last week, recharged with a great night on the track last night. So, yeah, we're looking towards that challenge. You were just saying then about uh, last week, is that a tricky situation with that second bye that you're only, when you have it, three to four weeks out from finals, your philosophy went for the rest? Because I guess it's a, it's a hard choice, go for the rest or do you hit it harder and now get into finals mode? Look, we, we really had to go for the rest. We had a buy in round one. So the girls have been running for, you know, close on three months now without a break, consecutive consecutive rounds. So it came at a perfect time just to clear the head, get away from the club and um, all the goings on around it, and then just reset ourselves this last block. And it's certainly, um, you know, the girls did a little bit of work on their own, but it was their opportunity to have some time with family because footy's such a, a massive time commitment. So they've come back to the club in really good nick and, and in really good spirits too. I'll ask you about some players that uh, names have popped up through the season. One of them who's played the most games, obviously, for the Bulldogs being 11, has been Taylor Denuccio. She's always been a player that's just been consistent thereabout for the VU Western Spurs. The issue with the Bulldogs really seems like she's really up to her game. 
Oh, look, Swifty is a, a wonderful leader. You know, she's, she's the quietest and gentlest person you'll ever meet off the ground, an absolute gem, but she's an absolute demon on the ground. You know, her tackling pressures, I think she leads the competition by plenty in regards to, to tackle. So her influence on our contest has been really important. And just her willingness to do, just do the team things. And, and she's loved by our girls and uh, both AFL and VFL for what she gives uh, week in, week out. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're really proud of her this year. Another player that's uh, been impressing us has been Ali Gavilis. Uh, she's played 10 games for the season. She's averaging, at the moment, 15 disposals a game. Look, Ali's come from uh, from the amateurs this year, and, you know, she was an excitement machine. I mentioned her in the pre-season uh, preview as well, and she's got better and better. She's had the AFL girls working around uh, within that group, and she's really holding her own. And she knows she's got different areas to continue to work on, but she finds the footy, she's dynamic, She's willing to learn and, and, you know, put in those extras that need to, to be put into place to, to really round out her game. So we're really excited for her at the back end of the year. And hopefully, um, draft-wise, it'll be fantastic if she gets an opportunity somewhere. Another player that's been handy in the six games that we've seen, averaging nine disposals a game, pops up every now and again as an impact player, has been, I hope I pronounced this correctly, uh, Vayamu Lalofi. Yes, Mua. Mua has been a ripper. She's come back from... Uh, an ACL injury. So she had, um, you know, 12 months out of the game and has just been brilliant through her um, her rehab. She started the year late, but it's just found her feet down back. And probably in the last three weeks, she's really got really back in touch with the tempo of the game. And uh, yeah, she was dynamic against um, the Thunder down in Ballarat. So we're really excited by her continual progression and, you know, going towards the end of the year, but obviously uh, moving forward into the years ahead as well. Looking at some of the uh, 23rd players that have been coming through, some of the under-18 talent, which will feature highly in the draft, and it's very handy for the Bulldogs. You've got quite a number of first-round picks. One of them has been the Western Jets captain in Elizabeth Giorgio-Stathis. Uh, just racked up a lazy 16 disposals in her debut match. Oh, look, she, she's dynamic, as are the other girls. We've been very lucky with the quality of the girls coming in. You know, they've been around the club for, for most of the year, dropping in, having some sessions, some education. So for them to get the opportunity after their Vic Metro uh, commitments were done was, was just so exciting. And to have three of them roll out on one day and, and produce such a fantastic performance, um, we're really excited by their prospect. And, you know, hopefully come draft time, you know, we'll see a couple of them in uh, an AFLW jumper as well. Uh, talking about wanting to see a player in an AFLW jumper, every Bulldogs fan wants to know about the potential father-daughter Isabella Grant. Well, Izzy, Izzy uh, we haven't seen much of her this year. She's had uh, school commitments with footy and uh, Vic Metro commitments. So we're hoping to see her soon, you know, before the back end of the year and um, see her out there. And, you know, I haven't seen her play myself, so I'm really excited to that prospect. I'm sure all the Bulldog supporters are too to see, you know, a, a legend of the club's daughter uh, rolling out in the colours. Um, that would be a really exciting moment. Turning to some of your AFLW talent, they've only been uh, having a handful of games each. I think no more than six for, for some of them. But it was pleasing to see um, against the NT Thunder game, the likes of Kirsty Lamb coming back, 27 touches. Deanna Berry with 22 touches. Brooke Lachland as well getting amongst the disposals with 17. Haven't missed a beat. Look, they haven't. And, and the power of work that they do around the club, they, you know, they live and breathe pretty um, our AFL girls, they've worked really hard. They know that in the season was mapped out for them. Had a couple of niggles along the way, but, you know, they're, they're really looking to get some real hard-nosed footy in as before they lead into, you know, another tough pre-season to the AFLW season. It was disappointing last season. We didn't quite get to where we wanted to be, but uh, the, the groundwork that's been put in place over the winter um, certainly puts uh, the girls in really good stead.
Uh, some players that have only played one or, or two games have been the likes of Isabel Huntington, uh, Ali Blackburn, Eleanor Brown, Ashley Guest. Are we expecting to see more of them as we head towards the finals? Look, I don't think we'll see Izzy. You know, we're very cautious with her, with her history, with her knees. So, but she's, she's powering through a lot of work now. So we'll save her through the preseason. Ali will be rolling out again. Um, she's had, you know, different little niggles and, and a bit of a break as well. But yeah, we hope to have Guesty. She'll definitely play on the weekend and going forward. So we'll start to see a really solid bank of our AFL girls have another opportunity. Um, and we've got to balance out their year. It's an incredibly huge commitment, um, VFL, just after the back of an AFL season and then rolling into a new preseason. So we make sure that we map things out and um, they're in the best possible condition they can be come uh, the AFL preseason. There's one player that we've been banging on a lot about, and it's because we're excited to see the first player out of the United States Australian Football League get drafted and take an AFLW rookie contract. That has been Danielle Marshall. Can you explain what you saw from her personally in those first three games before, according to my sources, that she signed the contract at half time of that third game? Yeah, look, I don't think I actually signed at half time, but it was sort of a twinkle in our eye thinking, you know. Danny can really play. She's a, she's a natural game sense. She, she, she can kick a goal, uh, finds the footy. She's ruthless. She's tough. She can play offense, defense. So we're really excited. We're wrapped to have her on board going forward. And, you know, she, she was able to duck home and get her commitments in order back home in the States. And now she's been back, hit the scoreboard straight away in her first game. So we're excited. She'll play the rest of the season with us. And, um, yeah, have her first AFLW preseason as well. And what will it mean for the Bulldogs squad? Should be, you be able to win one or two more games just to lock away that fourth spot? What will it mean to be able to take part in a VFLW finals campaign? Particularly, it looks like, A, the reigning premiers could be back in the mix again with Hawthorne. And up against two sides as well that, that are trying to prove a point because they come into the AFLW next year, being the Tigers and the Saints. Oh, look, we're excited by the opportunity. You know, we can't look that far ahead. We've got three ripping sides to play against, but... If we do get the opportunity, we'll put our best foot forward, playing against, you know, some fantastic teams. The depth in the competition has just got better and better, especially, you know, we've got a really nice blend of AFL and VFL girls. So, look, if we get that opportunity, um, and hopefully we can get there, um, we'll, we'll, we'll plan for that, uh, put our best foot forward, represent the club to the best of our ability, win or lose, you know, we know we've, we've made some fantastic inroads uh, this season, and that's an exciting acceleration into, into the new AFLW season as well. Well, Sean, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best this weekend as you take on the Bombers in a Twilight game, Saturday 4pm at VU Witten Oval and in the upcoming games against the Richmond Tigers and the Darabin Falcons. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Heading over to London now to check on the AFL London Women's League. The Premiership Division Grand Final was played over the weekend against the all-conquering Wandsworth Demons up against the North London Lions. So to break it all down, we've got on the line from AFL London, Mariana Graham. Maz, how are you? Good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Great to have you on the line after the biggest day on the football calendar at AFL London. Yeah, it was a fantastic day. I think um, not just the women's grand finals, but the, the other three that were played were um, were all pretty good games. So, and the sun was shining for once. So it was um, it was a great day. Big crowd in attendance, and we've seen some high-scoring games throughout the year, particularly being one-sided. But on this occasion in the grand final, the complete opposite—a tight, close, low-scoring thriller. Yeah, so I think when we spoke last week, my tip was uh, for the Lions to... I think I said the Lions were going to win by goal, which pretty much sort of ended up being what happened. But um, it was actually quite a close contest. So 
there was uh, only one point scored up until half time, um, and and then the Lions managed to get that elusive goal. So that one goal sort of steadied the steadied the ship for them a bit, and the Demons just couldn't seem to get past the Lions' defence, um, which was quite surprising, really. Cause they they sort of dominated the whole season, but in this particular game, they just seemed they seemed a bit yeah they just couldn't quite get past the Lions' defence. So. The Lions managed to hold on to that, that goal advantage, um, scored a few points, and and then the Demons did eventually score a goal. But at that point, the Lions were just enough ahead that that they just they sort of got it in, won it in the last quarter, really. So it was it was actually one of the best grand finals that's been played in the last last two or three years at AFL London. And the Lions really had to hold on because in that last the 30 to 60 seconds, there was even an attack by the Wandsworth Demons that just straight left of the, it's probably straight right of the right-hand point post. Um, that snap, if it went the other way, it could have easily been a Wandsworth Premiership. It was that close. It came down to that margin. Yeah, it was it was really tense right there in that last quarter. The Demons just seemed to sort of got a bit of momentum going and it sort of ended up in their forward line a bit. Um, and they just they just couldn't capitalise. So yeah, it was just that one miss I think sort of made the difference really. Obviously, devastation for the Wandsworth Demons who dominated the home and away season and couldn't get it done in the finals. But on the flip side, for the North London Lions, they've been in a similar situation, say, a couple of years ago. I think it was 2017 when the IC tournament was on, where they dominated all through the season but bowed out in the finals because their better players came to play for the Chibi Swans over in Melbourne. Finally, with their full-strength squad, they managed to get their hands on the cup. Yeah, so the Lions. I've said pretty much all season they're a very they're a very good squad. They've played together now for um, two or three years, pretty much consistently that same team. So, so they're a fairly well drilled team, and they they know how to play. It's just you know if you got a few players out, it does make it does make a bit of a difference. But this time they've seemed to like all their all their main players you know came into the squad. So, so it definitely it definitely helped them. And for football in London, it's a bit of a breather for now, but the biggest tournament that happens every three years uh, rolls around in October when the uh, AFL European Championships for 18 aside get played in London. Yeah, that's right. So that's coming up in October. And uh, I know the, the squads have been announced, so um, the, the England team's looking fairly strong. So I think there should be some pretty good performances out there. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see interesting to see what happens. Yeah, the, and obviously it'll be a lead into um IC for ne- IC Cup for next year. Yeah, so far the teams nominating the GB Swans, uh, the European Crusaders, uh, the Irish Banshees and the German Eagles. So we look forward to that. Yep. Miranda, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Thanks for the reports that you've done in the latter part of the season. And best of luck to you and your South East London Giants when you run around for season 2020. Thanks, Peter. Thanks to thanks to all you guys for um, constantly showing the coverage, our coverage over here. It's been great that it, it gets airplay over in Australia. So thank you to all you guys. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. 
Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to take a look back at the Western Regional Tournament that was played in Salem, Oregon just over a week ago and the recent East-West Showdown in California. It's great to have on the line the US AFL media manager in Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? G'day, Pete. How's it going? Great to have you on the line. And how was life on the West Coast? Well, they say the West Coast is the best coast, and I I begrudgingly will have to admit they're right. Beautiful weather in Oregon uh, for the week that my wife and I were out there, but also great weather for the Western Regional Tournament, which is why we were out there in the first place in Salem, Oregon. Well, let's talk about the Western Regional Tournament. We briefly touched on the result last week, but San Francisco Iron Maidens have broken their drought at the Western Regionals. It took four years that they finally got over the line, and Carly Smolak making her a major coaching debut. Of course, they won that game in Napa uh, last month uh, over Sacramento, but this was her first really big test, and broke it really, as you said, broke the drought with flying colors going 3-0 and uh, on the weekend. They finished in first with a 3-0 and record. The Seattle Grizzlies came in second at 2-1. and Portland, a bit of a disappointment at 1-2 and on what essentially was their home tournament. The Sacramento Suns, 0-3, and, and not much of a surprise, but they were very competitive despite going winless. We'll talk about each team one by one. Let's focus, first of all, on the San Francisco Iron Maidens. They brought a stronger squad to this game than they did with the Cascadia tournament. And also, they've got that big recruitment of the former Sacramento Sun and Melbourne University mugger in Katie Clatt. I think that she may be probably the biggest pickup of any player uh, across any team this season. When you think about what uh, Katie Klatt brings to a side, she, of course, has played at just about every level that you can. She's played the VFLW in Australia. The fact that she has come to this team, which has lost a number of players. Carly Smolak, as we mentioned, is retired. Bevan English, who is a key defensive player, has retired as well. And she kind of steps into that Bevan role as a quarterback, if you will, across the halfback line. And she really shone through. She steadied play a lot uh, across all three games. So many other players. Uh, one player who... Uh, I think really is kind of underrated, but really stepped up with Savannah Green. And that final game against Portland, the one that put them over the line, Savannah Green kicked the first three goals of the game. She kicked the first two within the first eight or within the first two or three minutes and really dominated play in the forward line. Uh, Panda Wynn, it's been interesting to see her develop as a ruck, and I think she will have a, a clean go at the ruck position at the USA Freedom Camp later on this month. She's very strong in the ruck. She's very fearless at the ruck, and I think she really refined her play from, from last year. Meg Leone went on to win best and fairest, and with Wynn stepping into the forward line, or stepping into the rock, rather, that allowed Leone to step into the forward line and really play just about anywhere Small Act needed a tall player. Now, the MVP, which went to the best player in kind of a countback situation from what ended up being the, the game between the top two teams with San Francisco and Seattle, was a Bremen, Germany born, but uh, Melbourne schooled Bika Weinert. Uh, in her first season, she had played in Australia before, and she went on to have a a brilliant game against Seattle, and she was very potent in that game against uh, Portland. 
this was a full team that San Francisco brought. I think as close to a full side as, as they, as they will have. And, Having watched Minnesota, having watched New York, and even you know seen part of the San Francisco Seattle game in this tournament, I think the Iron Maidens are still very much the team to beat when we get the Nationals. You don't know what's going to happen on the day, but I, I like the Iron Maidens. It looks like that uh, no team, that any team that's going to try and beat them is going to have their hands full. Let's talk about the Seattle Grizzlies. I still say it's an impressive performance for them to come second when you consider they're down the two big players. Valerie Barber Exthalm, who in 2017 was the Liberty Tour player of the tournament, and also the uh, ruck in April Lewis, who, of course, was best and fairest at the Western Regionals the past two years. That's true, but the the thing that you have to remember is that this is a team that's full of talent. Remember that they were shorthanded and they still made it to the grand final at Nationals last year. And one of the big reasons is their defense. Of course, a lot of people talk about Amelia Carr, and she was splendid as she always is. She helped out in the ruck as well. Uh, Latia Holmes, I don't think, gets enough credit for the job that she does across the back line. Um, Much like Katie Klatt was, she was a very calming presence uh, on defense unable to find good outlet passes whenever she got the footy. Uh, Amanda Bowe worked very hard in the forward line. I also was very impressed with Allison Leonard, the New Jersey native, uh, who was also in the running for the Freedom. Now, it's worth mentioning that the Grizzlies also had players from the Arizona Lady Hawks. And, of course, when you mention the Arizona Lady Hawks, you think of one Danielle Marshall, who is also in Australia uh, playing for the Western Bulldogs. And, of course, we've talked a lot about her in the last couple of weeks. But one player who really shone through was Cassie Cox. Uh, in the game against Portland, she had two key goals towards the end to seal uh, a 20-point win over the over the Sockeyes. But what I will say about Seattle against San Francisco, and mind you, I didn't get a chance to watch the entire game they did every time they they had the footy they looked confident they looked uh they didn't seem afraid of the iron maidens no matter how good they were they lost to them by the exact same score line 33 to 13 and i i think that uh you know they're not to san francisco's level yet but this is a very talented football team and yes missing lewis and missing barbara axtelm it, it is one thing when they uh, supposedly they are going to have both of them back for nationals. They will take them up another level, but it's still a very competitive side and a very competent side, both athletically and tactically. Of course, the Portland Sockeyes, who had been uh, uh, past Western Regional champions, found themselves in third out of the four teams. And for the Sockeyes, in the last 12 months or so, they've found themselves in a, in a bit of a stuck position. They, they made the step up at Nationals from Division 2 to Division 1, in which they beat the New York Magpies. They've kind of, I'd say, at the bottom level of Division 1. They're just struggling to find a way to take the next step. Yeah, and, and it, it's interesting because uh, this is a team that I've, I've always said that this is a well-rounded team. They have a lot of uh, – they, they, they have skill, they have speed, they have technique, um, and they're a hard-hitting team. And, and it's exemplified by their best player, which is Simone Shepard, who can do a little bit of everything. She can rush, she can play in the forward line. But she's a hard hitter. Uh, they have players like Tara Krugel who can hit the ball – who can hit really hard. Um, but a lot of their players have gotten a lot – 
gotten polished. Holly Petrie was a standout player for me. She's a, a gridiron quarterback who was recruited uh, by Simone Shepard. And the one thing that I liked is that she was very smart with the football. She rarely made a mistake. Brandy Machado, who took over in the ruck, who also will be heading to Racine for the Freedom Camp, I really like her. She's 5'11", and she has... Uh, doesn't have Katrina Scherer type speed. We're not talking Sonic, but she can accelerate pretty quickly. And she also, uh, whenever she gets the football, she's cool as a cucumber. She kicked a couple of goals uh, in the three games that we covered this weekend. One other player uh, that looked really well and uh, really kind of flew under the radar, but really is stepping up is Laurel Fink, uh, who kicked a really nice goal in that game against, uh, against San Francisco towards the end. Um, Amanda Mora was one of two players from the Arizona Outlaws that played on this team, and she has a lot of speed. It'll be interesting to see uh, how the Outlaws, they really only have two or three women's players, and they're trying to build that program up, of course, uh, against what they have going on crosstown with the Hawks. But all in all, I, I think you're right, Pete. I would probably say they're in the bot that bottom tier, uh, but it's not for the ones of talent. I think it's just a matter of, uh, of really putting together some efforts, some concerted efforts, and not making mistakes against some of these better teams. To the Sacramento Suns, who finished uh, fourth and last out of the tournament. Um, the Sacramento Suns, of course, uh, won Division Two last year at the Nationals. Fair to say, I guess it's more victim of location for the Sacramento Suns. You'd say if they were on the East Coast, they'd be very competitive against the likes of New York, uh, combinations of Boston, D.C. and Baltimore and against Columbus. They just find themselves on the strongest coast at the moment, and, and, and they're just purely victims of that. I don't think that's an unfair assessment, but what I will say is that uh, this is a team, when you consider how close they are to the San Francisco Iron Maidens, that they always seem to recruit well. And, and they've really, you know, I've watched them since they came into the league in 2009, 2010, and I remember them going absolutely eight droppings every time they kicked the behind. That's where they were as a club. And, and as time went on, they became more competitive. And especially when you saw a couple of years ago, their battle against New York and, and, at Nationals, and then last year, as you said, when they went on to win the whole shebang in Division Two. Um, on this particular weekend, I thought they looked pretty competitive. The fact that they only scored two goals in three games uh, really isn't a testament to that, unfortunately. And, and the one player who really stood out for me for the Suns was Rosemary Close. She's coming off of uh, knee surgery a year ago, that, that injury that kept her out for the entire year. And she looked like a much better player. What's great about her is when they first brought her in, they brought her in as a rock. She, too, is a tall target. And when she went for the freedom for the national team, they worked her into more of a defensive role. And I think that helps really round her out as a player, which is fantastic. Erin uh, Graham was another one who really created a lot of danger in the middle of the ground. Uh, she is up for uh, the freedom as well, and I would love to see her make make the team. She's a journey uh, woman, if you will. She's been around, I think, seven seasons now, and it's great to see her uh, get an opportunity, and she really made the most of it, I think, on the weekend. Um, they played with a number of players from L.A. They played with four L.A. Dragons players and the two that really stood out for me of course we talk about Eileen Yoon uh, who wreaked havoc in the middle of the ground and really kept things uh, really uh, kept things moving forward to give them chances um, 
and then uh, Leilani Silvio, uh, who used to be a son just like Eileen Yoon as well, uh, in her last hurrah before moving to the East Coast. I think she's going to stay with LA for the rest of the season uh, before m- figuring out what she's going to do as well. Um, Amy Arendale was a, was also an interesting addition to this side. Former Philadelphia Hawk, now playing with the New York Magpies. Uh, we'll talk about her in a second because she did play in this game against the Iron Maidens. But she was there, and she also helped out in the middle of the ground was a big boost. So, you know, Sacramento went 0-3. It's interesting to see whether or not they'll play in Division One. They'll probably play in Division Two again at Nationals. And I think they're, they're really competitive. They have a good side. And, uh, you know, the fact that they went 0-3, I think they can still take a lot of positives from this weekend as we go down the stretch and beyond. So that was the Western Regionals in Salem, Oregon. And on the back of that, you've come up with the All Regionals team. Can you explain how that came together? Absolutely. So uh, we did this not only for the women's division, but also for the men's divisions as well. Of course, at each of our regional tournaments, we have the two men's divisions and the women's division. And the the goal of this is I've always wanted to recognize individual players uh, for what they do on this particular weekend. And, you know, the, the championship series, Pete, has really grown in stature over the last couple of years. It's, you know, the, the other event besides nationals that, that we put on. And I feel like this really, you take these players who come, they're playing, sometimes they travel uh, hours, they get on a plane, they drive, they come to this tournament and, and they really, really put forth some fantastic performances. And across the women's division, I think we've assembled a, a pretty good a pretty good selection of not only you know veterans but a lot of new players as well and it's important to note that this is derived from the uh, umpires voting they do brown low type voting at the end of each game three two and one there were a couple of ties that were broken by myself and also some players some observers uh, who watched the different uh, national division regional divisions as well so uh, I think we put together a really good list of 24 players can you go through them from the back line through to the forwards and interchange? Absolutely. So across the back line, it's DC's Kristen Lowe, uh, Sacramento's Rosemary Clo, and Baltimore's Roxanne Alley. The halfback line is Nashville's Natalie Smith, Amelia Carr of the Seattle Grizzlies, and Tess Maisie of the Denver Lady Bulldogs. The midfielders, rookie Tori Galvin of the Denver Lady Bulldogs, Lindsay Terse of the Philadelphia Hawks, and Molly Halberstadt of the D.C. Eagles. The Rovers, Panda Wynn from the San Francisco Iron Maidens, Catherine Georgiatis of the Minnesota Freeze, and Simone Shepard of the Portland Sockeyes. The half-forwards, Meg Leone of San Francisco, Haley Rebar of the Texas Heat, and Stephanie Peterson of the Seattle Grizzlies. And up front, Kim Hemingway and Janie Green of the New York Magpies and Kathy Oha of the Minnesota Freeze. On the interchange base, on the interchange bench, Brooke Elias from the Nashville Kangaroos, Brianna Ostoff from Minnesota, Bika Weinert from San Francisco, Denver's Anna Thexton, Portland's Lucy Parrington, and Stephanie McKittrick of the Columbus Cats. If you uh, minus the one or two Aussies in that side, uh, that'd make a pretty handy USA Freedom side. It's pretty good. Uh, like I said, it's it's what I feel to be a great mix of uh, 
of, of veterans uh, and newer players, as mentioned, Galvin, a rookie, uh, Natalie Smith playing her second season, um, Brooke Elias playing uh, her first year of, of USAFL, Beka Vinert as well. And uh, yeah, that would be a very, very handy uh, freedom side. We're speaking to Brian Barrish, the media manager of the United States Australian Football League. So that's the regionals done and dusted. But the annual East-West Showdown was played over the weekend in California. Yeah, the San Francisco Iron Maidens taking on the New York Magpies. Now, it is worth mentioning that as in past years, the Sacramento Suns were involved as well. We also had some players from the Seattle Grizzlies come down and the Iron Maidens faced the combined side of the Magpies, the Suns, and the Grizzlies. And for an Iron Maiden side that were really pumping off of that victory a week before, they had no let up over that combined side. San Francisco 8-4-52, defeating the New York Magpies, two behinds. There was another game played on the day. It was a bit of a scrimmage, but uh, the uh, where the Iron Maidens broke up into two sides, and uh, one side played with New York, the other side played with a combination of Seattle and San Francisco, uh, Seattle and Sacramento, and the Suns Grizzlies combination won that one by 14 points. But still, from that first game, a warning shot that the Iron Maidens have sent to the rest of the competition. They're out for four in a row at the Nationals. Absolutely. And as I said, Pete, just watching them and and now they're kind of getting in the form. And this is a much different lead up than we've seen in previous seasons. And if you've listened to me talk on this show for the last couple of months, uh, you know that I've harped on the fact that San Francisco has always seemed to have very ordinary, not a real uh, banner regular season, but tell you what, if they avoid injuries, if they can keep the team together, if they can avoid the, the letdown of turnover that some teams suffer, uh, that six in a row by Denver at the beginning of the decade is in real jeopardy. Another match was played on the weekend, Chicago versus Columbus. The Swans heading to Columbus to take on the Cats. Uh, again, two teams that uh, really are trying to develop their sides a little bit more. Columbus has had kind of a, uh, a little bit of a setback in numbers. They generally have about seven or eight players when they have come to their matches. Chicago is slowly gaining. And one of the players that I didn't mention when talking about Los Angeles was Yui Kawakatsu. That's because she is now living in Chicago. And I think she's set to play for the Swans for the rest of this season and she helped lead the Swans uh, to a pretty decisive victory by 39 points. Chicago 14-8-92 on the road defeating Columbus 8-5-53. So the Chicago Swans getting bigger and bigger which is great to see because we actually had fears for them um, a year or two ago when there was just Amy McGinnis there and she was moving to Canada and we thought well there goes women's footy in Chicago but that has turned around in the last two years. And it helps when you have a number of Aussies there. Uh, we mentioned Rebecca Quinn, uh, who is really got there just as Amy was leaving and who's taken up the reins to help growing the team. And another player, Aislinn Grieg, who came over from New York uh, to come over and play as well. There's a number of Americans that they've recruited so far that are making an, are making an effort, Rebecca Wheeler being one of them. But uh, it's been a, a fantastic growth so far for the Swans team. And it, they look really good. It's just like down in Nashville. If they can get the players together, they can get the recruiting machine going, we might see a repeat of what's happened in Portland and Seattle. 
We've got two months to go now until the United States Australian Football League National Championships in uh, Lakewood Ranch, Florida. But before we get there, there's still a bit more on the women's footy calendar to get through. Well, we have the uh, USA Freedom Training Squad camp in Racine, Wisconsin. That'll be the weekend of August 17th and 18th. And uh, what it is is around 60 or so players uh, that Coach Christina Licata and her coaching staff have nominated for the upcoming cycle, which, of course, is International Cup 2020, the USA Liberty Tour, which hasn't been confirmed just yet, and then, of course, the Transatlantic Cup in London in 2020. 2021. Um, what I like about this is that they're just like for the 2016 2017 cycle, there is a lot of new blood in this lineup and uh, in this group. And, and it's not just from the big teams, although, you know, San Francisco is well represented with uh, eight players. Seattle has a number of players, uh, New York, Denver, uh, or, or rather uh, Sacramento. But a lot of teams like Columbus and the Arizona Hawks and um, uh, D.C. and Baltimore and Philadelphia, uh, these clubs that really uh, are still growing their club or are still staying afloat, they have representation too, and I think that's, that's fantastic. So we'll have to see how this team is going to be made up. No matter what happens, it's going to be, I think, a more athletic team than what they've had in the past. And as much as they have in terms of, of uh, rookies and in terms of inexperience at the international level, they are playing a lot of footy this time around. So uh, whoever goes into this and whoever comes out of this will have had be really put through their paces by Lakata and, and her staff. And I think we'll be ready for whatever comes down over the next two years. And good news for fans of Danny Marshall playing for the Western Bulldogs in the VFL Women's Competition. Of course, she played just over a week ago, which she kicked a goal against the NT Thunder. If selected to play, which I believe she will be uh, this Saturday against Essendon, 4 o'clock Australian Eastern Standard Time, that game starts. And it's actually being video streamed via the VFL website. So if you go to vfl.com.au, you'll be able to see Danny Marshall wearing the number 45 running around for the Western Bulldogs. Again, that's 4 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. That's exciting. And the fact that uh, she's come back and it, it's, it's interesting. I, I talked to Ryan Marshall, her husband, a little bit. I saw him at the Western Regionals and I think he's still very much uh, uh, just in awe of all of what's ha transpired over the last several months. And the fact that she came back without missing a beat and kicked the goal against the, the uh, against the NT Thunder I think really kind of shows that she deserves to be there. And, and uh, yeah, there was a, a lot of buzz talking about her just as there was at the central regional at the Western regional about her, about her and her progress. So uh, yeah, tune in and, and see how she does against the same old. Well, Brian Barish, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to your company as we hit the nationals in two months time. I'm excited, Peter. See you then. And joining us on the line now from AFL Queensland to take a look back at the final round of the Bond University QAFLW competition. It's great to have on the line Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am lost for words. That's all I can describe the final round. Before we get to the three games that mattered on the finals, let, let's start, shall we, by having a look at the first game, which was deciding it was going to get the wooden spoon in the end. And in the end, the reigning premiers, Wilston Grange, managed to avoid it. 6-13-49 to 3-5-23. 
they, well, you're right, and they did avoid it, and you know they avoided it because of kind of the names that we've grown accustomed to: um, Kathy Spark, Amy Kelly, those real key contributors that turn up every week uh, and really play their role. They probably be up there in um, team of the year selection uh, whenever that comes about because you know even though their sides won three games now for the year they've been superb and those were the girls that really carried Wilson Grange um, throughout a really tense opening half and then um, obviously into a pretty good second half and, and avoided the wooden spoon which I feel like is something that most reigning premiers would like to avoid and obviously for Asplew this year you know, they, they were quite competitive. I think their score lines in most games didn't really do them justice, but, you know, it was very much a development year for them and they'll take away plenty as they enter uh, year two of their stay in the QAFLW next year. Okay, so let's set up the final three games. As we were discussing last week, at that point, coming into the final round, Cooper was sitting fourth, one game ahead of Coolangatta Tweed and the UQ Red Lions. UQ was in uh, fifth. Coolangatta Tweed was in sixth. It's a top four situation. If Cooperoo lost, then either Coolangatta Tweed or UQ needed to win to try and sneak in, and it came down to percentage. So let's start with a side that was sixth. Coolangatta Tweed had the job against Yeronga South Brisbane, who was second, and pulled off the upset. 5-2-32 to 4-2-26. <laughs> it was... It was- Oh, the weekend was massive, and it really did start with this game. And uh, just looking at the teams on the Friday morning as they rolled through, you know, you kind of thought Yoronga, you know, second on the ladder, building towards finals. Um, they were looking really good, and for for Coolangatta too, you know, they've, they've slowed up a bit. I think injuries have really hurt them in the latter part of the year, especially over the last couple of weeks. Indy Sleek went out. Uh, with an ACL and Bree McFarlane hurt her shoulder. Turns out Bree McFarlane missed just one week and she was back for this game. And honestly, she was really the difference between the two teams. Um, Gabby Collingwood, you know, she got a goal early for, for Yoronga, but then uh, Bree and uh, Holly Murphy, the other cool and gutter tool inside 50, they really took control of the game and uh, they kicked the next four goals between them, set up a really good lead, um, uh, at halftime in, in, or in the, in the third quarter's role. And, you know, Yurunga came back in the end a little bit at the end, two goals to Demi Leach. Um, but it was just, just cool. He almost lost for words how they were kind of, they were able to conjure up that win. But a solid team performance. Um, I'll say that. And really those two tools down there paved the way and, um, a good result for them. And, you know, they obviously needed to win to make finals. So um, I think they, they would have got the win and then, you know, had their hand in mouth waiting for the other results to come through. Okay, so we're going to skip the 345 game to build the drama. But Coolangatta has won by a goal. As much as it gave them four premiership points, it didn't help them in their percentage. So they were hoping for UQ Red Lions to drop the ball and they were hoping for Cooperoo not only to lose but have a little bit of damage done to their percentage as well by the topside Bond University. Let's jump to the game that was actually played at 4.45 p.m. Maruchidor, 5-9-39, that was sitting third on the table, went down to the fifth place UQ Red Lion. So a second upset happened, 6-6-42. And another massive tick for UQ with all the little scenarios that could could go on for teams to make the finals. UQ ticked their boxes, you know, a pretty good 
a convincing win, and you'd probably take any win over Mauricio at this time of the year. Who were they were missing a few of their key movers in the midfield, um, but I, I remember checking the scores, um, you know, midway through the first quarter, and it was one goal six to, to no goal uh, to no score to Maruchador. So Yuki got off to a bit of a flyer, inaccurate, but you know, still obviously had enough ball to to get those seven scoring shots early, um, and they kind of built from that three goals in the third. Um, and it really goes, was, you know, Nat Grider in the midfield who's been massive for them. Uh, Brie Conan, who you can almost plug and play anywhere. And, and Megan Hunt, uh, who she didn't kick a goal, uh, surprisingly. UQ had six individual goal kickers, which is a bit of a fascinating stat. But Megan Hunt's been super. She's moved uh, a bit more inside 50 as that hit-up target um, that works well at ground level as well for the Red Lions. And... Um, you know, Marisha came back a little bit in the second half, uh, held UQ scoreless in that third quarter, which set up a massive final term. Uh, luckily, Jane Childers uh, and Jamie Stone kicked a few early goals for, for UQ to help, um, you know, reaffirm their lead. And uh, they held on for a, for a three-point win in the end, which is kind of a box tick for them. And, um, yeah, just exciting. <laughs> So, technically, they did what was required. Their win knocked out Coolangatta Tweed. It meant they couldn't get into fourth spot. UQ had done the victory, but the problem was at 4.45, they were the late game. They already knew what happened at 3.45. And to spoil the other two games, a third upset happened in round 14. Cooperu, fourth place, 6.844, knocked off the top side, Bond University, 6-5-41, a three-point thriller to close out the top four. This, I think, is probably game of the season. It was like everything to play for. The, the top of the table versus, you know, probably the juggernaut of the competition for the last oh, six years. Um, I think they've made finals in five of the last six years or something ridiculous. Last two grand finals on the ropes to even make finals this year. And then Jesse Wardlaw just takes control of the game, kicks two goals in the last quarter, you know, puts the team on her back and Cooperu win. It's honestly like a storybook finish for Cooperu, who I think in preseason, most people had booked their ticket uh, for the grand final. I know just chatting to a lot of people around the competition, they really thought, Cooperu, given you know the talent in their team, the change at Wilson Grange, obviously the reigning premier, Cooperu looks out now the best team in the competition, and you know to drop a lot of games early um, in the comp- in the season, sorry, and then having to really claw their way back throughout the year to get them you know in a position to marginally make finals, and then for it to come down to the last quarter, uh, the last couple of minutes uh, to to make it and. Uh, luckily, in that moment, Jesse Wardlaw was there in her last uh, two last quarter goals. Really saved the day for Cooper. There's not much else to really say about it. She was massive. Uh, Jess Wushner, obviously, you know we know what she can do. Uh, she's moved forward in the last fortnight. She kicked another two uh, this week, so their forward line's really functioning well. And you know, I think to to not only make finals, but to pit Bond University, who are the benchmark this year. Like, the confidence that that gives Cooperu is just massive because, uh, you know, we know the talent that they've got in their team. They've now got that 
uh, momentum behind them, big win over Wilson Grange, and now having pipped uh, the ladder leaders. They enter finals in fourth, but with a massive wet sail behind them. So next weekend, uh, this weekend now, their game against Maruchador is a massive game, and I fully expect you know Cooper will be in a position to win that game now. We'll talk about the top four and the finals in just a moment, but just to explain how tight things finished, uh, obviously absolutely finished on the bottom of the table with just the two wins and Wilson Grange with just the three wins for the year. But Coolangatta Tweed finished on 28 premiership points. Same premiership points as University of Queensland in fifth, only 3.3 percentage points separating them. UQ then finished behind by one win by Cooper Roo and just 2.35 percentage points. That's how close that was. Cooper Roo finished on eight wins for the year, same as Maruchidor, but Maruchidor just edged them by just under three percentage points for the year. That's how tight it was between third and sixth. It was almost a dream season. Obviously, for me, covering the competition, it's, you kind of hope for these scenarios to happen. And then, you know, it certainly happened this year. And I think for UQ and, and Cool and Gatta Tweed, I think they can take a lot of confidence from the season. Obviously, they missed out. Um, you know, getting so close, but kind of falling at the last hurdle. Um, I know both teams had a few tight losses um, in there, which obviously would have given the upper hand. And for Cooper, for, for Cooper to qualify, I think, is a massive achievement for them, given kind of how much change and um, in terms of personnel week in, week out has happened for them, um, you know, to make the top four is massive. And, you know, looking back to their round one loss to... To Aspley, I know they had a lot of their AFLW contingent um, out of that contest, but to qualify, um, I, I think, is, is massive for them. So it sets up a massive final series. Um, obviously, for, for Bond and Mauricio too, um, they make the finals for the first time since they've kind of gained promotion from Div 1. Um, so a bit of history there. And even for Yoronga too, finished second there in there. Um, won the flag in 2017, obviously. Uh, turned over a lot of their playing list um, by means of kind of regenerating that culture. Now they're back up there. So there's a lot riding on the finals, obviously, and I, I can't wait to see how that all unfolds. And just before we read out the fixture, how interesting it is as the top four go into the finals, sides one, two, and three lose in the final round, and the juggernaut Cooperu is in fourth and the only team to win in the final round. That's got to give the top three sides the willies of, uh-oh, here come Kuparu. I think so. And it really paints the scene that, you know, it's kind of a cliche, but any any team can win on their day. But I think those results last round um, really, you know, bring that meaning to life. And, um, you know, I think all of those top four teams in finals have the talent in their team to win and it's almost after those results in, in round 14 um, you know the latter positions they give you home field advantage but apart from that you know there's not too much else um, that that gives you an advantage because the competition really is just that even this year so let's have a look at week one of the finals. Both games are being played on Saturday, the 10th of August. We begin at 3 p.m. at Bond University. The Bull Sharks, as minor premiers, host Yoronga South Brisbane. Now, obviously, you know, these two teams, whoever loses does get the, the double chance. Um, they'll face the winner of the other game 
next week. So, you know, in terms of the grand scheme of things, there's always next week, as they say, um, should whoever lose, lose, which is kind of a given. Um, but oh, it's a massive contest. I think Bond, you know, even considering the loss, um, they enter the contest probably in better form, as we'd probably expect, given they're the latter leaders and have really been by far the best team of the season. I think Yeronga have really had to grind uh, out some wins and played in some really tight contests uh, to round out kind of the last month of the year. So they're in second, but they're a bit of a, a question mark for me. You know, you really don't know which Yeronga you're going to get. Obviously, they have a, a pretty stacked midfield, but um, I think Jade Ranfield's loss in the forward line um, has has really damaged them um, over the past two weeks, um, and hopefully the likes of Daniel Leach and, and Courtney McDonald and I know Jackie Yorston uh, spent a little bit of time inside fifty in her uh, mid rotation. So you know they'll be looking for other names to add on the scoreboard. But you know I think Bond University should should get home here. I think. And in the final game of the finals for week one, it's the minor semi-final, 4.45pm. Maruch doing their first finals, also get to host a final. They play host to Cooperoo. I, th- I think this game probably would be the pick of the bunch for both if, you know, you had, had to, to choose which one you're going to watch. And I think that's because I think the, the matchup between Cooperoo's forward line and uh, Maruchador's defence I think is what will set this game apart. Obviously, we talked about Cooper's tools and forward options. Jesse Wardlaw, Jeff Wushner, uh, Janae Govan, who's really, uh, you know, hit her best form at the right time of the year as well. I think those, those three, um, as well as their smalls, uh, Tani White, she should be back this week. Um, yeah, that matchup against Maruchidor's tools in the back line, uh, Ash Hales, Rachel Crack, that's really what is going to set uh, the game apart and um, I know Maruchidor's defence over the past two weeks has, it's been really uh, stingy in a way um, I know UQ they got the win but um, Maruchidor really held their tall forwards at bay um, and they certainly did so the week before against Aspley who um, yeah, obviously they didn't regi- register a score in that game so both, both of those units kind of entered the contest in a lot of form and I think that's probably an area of the ground where the game will be ultimately decided. Well, Anne, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to your company next week when we take a look back at the first week of the final series. All right, thanks so much for having me. Taking a look at the results in the West Australian Football League Women's Competition, Round 12 played over the weekend. Uh, East Fremantle 5-4-34 defeated Subiaco 3-7-25, whilst Swan Districts 9-7-61 took care of Claremont 1-3-9. Here's Swan Districts coach Caradine Allen. I asked them to play four consistent quarters and I thought we started the game exceptionally well um, from the midfield all the way down to our two key forwards and our little ones uh, crummy and 
gave us a lot of opportunities to obviously hit the scoreboard and I think we built on that um, come the second, third and, and ran out the game quite well. We're down a couple of players in the in the second half but I thought our young kids really stood up. Um, Bianca Webb through the midfield was fantastic. Ran, had some really big minutes in the midfield without a break. Um, Sinead Davison was another one that really played her role. Mickey Hyde played 100% game time, was forward, was in the guts um, and just I think... Mim in the ruck as well really dominated um, and gave us first use with Janzi um, helping her along our back line. Uh, couldn't fault him. Amy Ralph uh, played a bit of a different role today and really um, held our backs together with the likes of Maguire who's taken her game to a whole new level this year playing back and, and I thought Lauren Osborne was exceptional too. It was great to have um, two players back in Ebony Tony, our skipper for a first game of the year and, and Gemma Houghton down forward who combined for a number of goals and, and provided um, some goal assists as well. So fantastic effort to, to keep Claremont to only one goal where they scored that in the last four minutes of the game. We'll regroup again. We've got a big clash against East Frio out at Shark Park uh, next Sunday. Uh, and then uh, we'll see how we go moving into the uh, end of the season. And round 13 this weekend on Saturday, Peel Thunder play host to Claremont at David Gray's Arena at 4.30pm. That'll be the video stream game of the week. While on Sunday, East Fremantle play host to Swan Districts at New Choice Home Park from 2pm. Across the UNSW Canberra first grade women's competition, round 13 played over the weekend. East Lake Demons 4-8-32 went down to Quimbian Tigers 11-4-70. Belcott and Magpies 14-11-95 defeated the Tungranong Hawks 1-1-7. While the Ainsley Tricolors 21-19-145 had a comfortable win over the Gungalan Jets who failed to score. Looking ahead to the second last round of the season, round 14, all games on Saturday, all starting at 3.45pm. At Allen Ray Oval, Ainsley Tricolors play host the Eastlake Demons. At Allensure Park, the Quimbian Tigers play host the Belcott and Magpies, while at Greenway Oval, the Tuggeranong Hawks play host to the Gungarland Jets. To the Tasmanian State League women's competition, uh, Clarence 11 7 73 defeated North Launceston 4 2 26. Tigers 2 1 13 went down to Glenorchy 14 6 90, while Launceston 24 23 167 walloped Lauderdale, who failed to score. Looking ahead to round 14 action, all games on Sunday, the 11th of August at 12 pm at Invermay Park. North Launceston play host to Glenorchy. 1.30pm at Lauderdale Sports Ground. It's Clarence versus Lauderdale. While 1.30pm at Windsor Park, it's Launceston versus Tigers. And joining us now from Sydney to take a look back at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division for Round 15, it's great to have on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, well, thanks, Peter. How are you? Feeling great that finals is almost there. And we have a look at round 15 of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. And before we go game by game, fair to say, all the favourites getting over the line. Yeah, certainly was the case. All the favourites getting over the line and uh, most of them doing it fairly comfortably. We look at the first game, Newtown Breakaways, respectable 2-5-17, uh, going down to the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, 7-11-53. Yeah, certainly was respectable. I mean, they were even in it at three-quarter time, Peter, um, when it was 16 to 25. But, look, the, the Bulldogs were just too good and, and ran away with it in the end. Um, I said there was only a point in it at, uh, at the first break. So the, the breakaways held their own for those first three quarters. But, yeah, unfortunately, they are... Uh, 
they couldn't keep that form going in the fourth quarter. Um, goal kickers for the Bulldogs were Tudor Beck for Vitelli, so she certainly have a fantastic season. And then singles to Co, um, Momforte, Parkin, Smith and Ross. Um, goal kickers for breakaways haven't been listed, but as I said, um, that takes some heart from that being so... Uh, so close, but uh, yeah, unfortunately for the breakaways, they're still searching for that first win of the season. In the closest game of the round, the Sydney Uni Bombers 6-10-46 defeated the UTS Bats 4-1-25. Yeah, look, no surprises that this was the closest um, game of the round. I thought the Bats may even have been able to snag an upset, but uh, look, it definitely would have been an upset had they been able to do that. Uh, similar um, to the other game we just looked at, really close in the first half, not a lot in it. But in the second half, the Bombers just uh, ran away with it. Uh, 18 to 6 at half time. Um, but yeah, by the end of the game, it was 46 to 25. So uh, look, the, the Bombers, um, they had a really good start to there. They probably dropped off a little bit, but they're definitely clearly that that third place team behind uh, the Eagles and the Warriors. Uh, goal kickers this week for the Bombers, two to Gillen and Sue, and then uh, one each to Laban and Rodita. So, um, look, they'd be happy to get a win on the board and we'd be looking for a couple more before uh, the final series starts. The Uni Warriors, 10-15-75, easily did away with the Inner West Magpies, one straight six. Yeah, no surprises, a, a scoreline there. Um, the Warriors certainly came out firing in the first quarter. Uh, it was four goals, seven thirty-one. So, look, perhaps a bit of an accurate kicking there, and, and it could have been worse for the Magpies. Um, they, they quietened off in that second quarter and kicking one goal. Um, but, yeah, look, they managed to kick another five goals in the second half. So, uh, Macunia obviously uh, going along quite well. The, their only losses are... Against the Eagles, um, Stanwicks kicked three for them, as did uh, and sorry Freeman and Carruthers and Bryden each kicked two, and Phillips a solitary goal. So one of the things we've come to know from MacUni over the last few years when they've been um, up up there amongst the contenders is they've got a, a lot of goal scorers, and uh, I think uh, against the good size, it's, it's quite handy because you never know uh, who's uh, who's going to get them. They've they've got to defend everyone well. And the East Coast Eagles, 10-12-72, defeated the Southern Power, 1-3-9. Yeah, look, another big win for the Eagles. Um, it, uh, last time these two sides met, I think the Eagles kicked something like seven or eight goals in the first quarter. So uh, Power were able to restrict their scoring to four goals in the first quarter. But Power themselves couldn't get on the board until the third quarter. And it actually took them until the last quarter to, to score a goal. So disappointing for them. Um, but the Eagles, they're just rolling along nicely. Uh, Wilson kicked four, uh, Smith three, and singles to Hurley, Goodsir, and, and Rogers. And uh, look, they're just they're doing fantastic. Um, similar to the Warriors, they've always got a good spread of goal kickers. So it makes it very hard um, for sides to defend when, uh, yeah, you know, anyone can kick goals. Let's look ahead to round 16, which will be the second last round of the year. Uh, all games being played on Saturday the 10th of August. And your tips are 10.25am and early start at Trumper Park between the UTS Bats and the East Coast Eagles. Yeah, look, I think it's going to be a tough one for the Bats despite being at home. Uh, and I think it's going to be a comfortable win for the Eagles. 2pm at Village Green at the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs playing host to Mac Uni. Yeah, look, I think um, Bulldogs have, have got a, a couple of recent wins, so it gives them, uh, gives them a bit of a confidence boost. Uh, but I think uh, Mac Uni will get a, 
a win there by uh, probably four or five goals. 3.20pm at Pick and Oval, the Inner West Magpies versus the Southern Power. Yeah, look, this should be a, a close contest, I think, perhaps the, the closest one of the round. Um, however, I think Power will come out and top and, um, you know, that win should, should help them solidify fourth spot in the, the finals chance. And in the final game of the round, the Sydney Uni Bombers versus the Newtown Breakaways, a twilight game, a 5.50pm start at Sydney Uni. Yeah, look, obviously, uh, I think it's been a tough year for the Breakaways, which we've acknowledged, and I think the Bombers are just going to make it even tougher. And, um, yeah, the uh, I think the Breakaways will still be searching for a win after this uh, round. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we look forward to your company next week when we take a look back at the second-last round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au And finally, joining us on the line here at RSN Carnival to take a look back at what was round 13 of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. It's great to have on the line Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Uh, a little bit disappointed, to be perfectly honest with you, Pete. My two tips from last week that I uh, hung my hat on didn't come up on the weekend, although they toss of the coin at some stages in those two games, which we'll review. I'm referring, of course, to the Collingwood-Carlton and Melbourne Uni and Hawthorne games, Collingwood and Hawthorne, the two victors there. But, um, geez, it's a, the VFLW season is very interestingly poised. I know that's probably not the right expression to use, but um, very intriguing. And I'll talk about that at the end of the segment. And I look forward to my coffee and egg and bacon rolls. So thank you very much for those tips. Let's have a look at what happened at Windy Hills, the standalone game on the Saturday Essendon, 7-2-44, fell agonisingly short against the Southern Saints, 7-4-46. Well, this, this was one that really got away from the Bombers. They were in firm control from the word go. A four goal to just three behind opening term really set it up for them. They were able to break away at three-quarter time. It was 7-1 to 4-4, and then the Southern Saints were able to kick their way back into it. It came down to the dying stages of the game. The Bombers, I understand, had a shot for goal within the last 60 seconds to Celia McIntosh, unable to put it through and um, in despair following the game from all reports. So, unfortunately for the Bombers, at least what they can take out of it, though, is that they are close. They're closing in on the mid part of the table they've been more competitive as what we've spoken about in recent weeks so the future looks fairly bright if you're an Essendon supporter because they've been getting better and better which is encouraging and even more encouraging is that they're putting scores on the board which um, is something that they've struggled to do early in their existence in the VSLW but it's, it's starting to come together which is good for the Southern Saints I just wonder whether there's a few question marks that 
you put over the top of their heads at the moment. Just on the recent form, they've had some good games, um, but they've also had some close ones and dropped uh, a couple of games a few weeks ago. So you just wonder where they're currently sitting and the form line that they're working into um, as they head towards finals. The goal kickers from the weekend for the Southern Saints, Sheilor kicked three, Bahana, Riser, Mackey and Vesely were the goal kickers for the Bombers. Quigley kicked two, Stassi two, Collier, Damasio and Stepnell were the two, were the other goal kickers. So then possession in this game, 51% went the way of the Saints, 49% the way of the Bombers. So even though the Bombers were in control for most of the opening three terms, uh, it ended up being uh, a game that was just slightly more in favour of the Southern Saints. Leading stats getter on the ground was Nance Cowan with 23 touches. Uh, also laid 10 tackles, so filling the, filling the role of Hayley Bullis quite nicely there. Shea Audley also amongst the top disposal getters with 22 touches on the weekend, also laid 10 tackles. Telly Lucas robbed the best Saint with 21 touches. Emmy uh, Mackey also with 21 touches for the Southern Saints. So we turn our attention to Sunday football. And finally, Sabrina Frederick has got a victory in Tigers colours. Richmond, 7-16-58, took care of Williamstown, 1-4-10. And it took Williamstown until the third quarter to register a score on the board. The Tigers were a little inaccurate. Um, 7-16 at the end of the day, poor kicking. And most of those behinds came in the second term where they put on eight. So uh, very inaccurate kicking. They could have been a much uglier margin uh, for Williamstown. They've only had the five scoring shots in the end. And just looking at the, the stat sheet where the Tigers only got a goal, uh, one goal, one in the final quarter, they obviously took their foot off the throttle given Williamstown kicked one goal three. So um, it could have been much uglier for the Seagulls to probably the reverse, if you like, of uh, Essendon, who a couple of weeks ago, those two sides played off and we thought it was going to be a really tight contest. Williamstown have, since that game, really fallen away. They, they got demolished by the Bombers in that match and they haven't been able to regain any form since. So it's disappointing considering uh, there have been encouraging signs and positive signs that we've been able to take away from games this year. But uh, the Tigers refound their form from earlier in the season where they were demolishing sides and they were able to do that again. Uh, as you mentioned, Frederick was uh, up amongst the leading goal kickers on the weekend, two goals, so dominant in her first win in yellow and black. Uh, Conti also kicked two goals. Frank Catasano, Colwell and Egan, the other goal kickers. Whiting, who's been prominent up forward for Williamstown, was their only goal kicker uh, on the weekend. Um, as you'd expect, uh, possession was heavily in favour of uh, Richmond, 57 to 43. And all the other stats uh, in their favour, 70 to 50 tackles, 54 to 11 hit outs. 45 to 19 inside 50. So incredibly dominant Richmond. Bound form at the right time of year. Whiting, in addition to her one goal, got the most disposals on the ground with 24. Uh, Monique Conti was the best for the Tigers. Uh, in addition to her two goals, also racked up 18 touches and laid five tackles. 
So old rivals, at least in the men's side of the game, Collingwood and Carlton did battle at Victoria Park. The Pies scraping over the line 5-5-35 to Carlton's 4-4-28. And a bit like uh, a month or so ago when we saw Katie Brennan when she ran around in Tigers colours for the first time against her old club, the old captain uh, copped a bit of treatment from her old Bulldogs teammates. Likewise for the Pies, uh, the former Carlton captain, Bree Davey, playing for Collingwood, ended up with a, a black eye from a heavy tackle from uh, Darcy Vessio, I believe. So uh, fair to say no love lost between uh, a former side and their captain. No, I've got, I've got a feeling I saw that bob up on social media, a photo of the outcome of that tackle, and it didn't look pretty, that's for sure. It looked very, very nasty. But um, And, and this, these two sides do have a rivalry in women's footy too. Pete. They kicked off the AFLW season for the first two years, and even though they, they were probably... Um, well, no, they were close games, so I suppose you can say there's a rivalry between these two sides. There always will be between Collingwood and Carlton, no matter what competition you're in. And, geez, Carlton looked as though they had opportunities and, and squandered them late. Um, didn't kick a major until the third quarter, but was able to give Collingwood a run for their money in the, in the final term and, and run it close. So, uh, Collingwood, I just wonder about them too. Are they just starting to get the holly wobbles uh, heading towards finals? Their, their form, whilst it's been good, they've just been scraping over the line. And one of my reasons last week for saying that Collingwood might drop this game was that their mentality at the moment, the, the attitude. And I just wonder whether they're not entirely focused. I made the comparison to Hawthorne last year in, in last week's segment about the fact that they were just getting over the lines until they got a reality check. And I just wonder whether Collingwood need that just to straighten themselves up heading towards finals because they're positioned in a very, very similar spot to where they were about this time last year. So they'd be wanting to make amends for that come the final series. And I don't think you want to be going in there when you're just getting over the line. For Carlton, un unfortunately, they're... Their season uh, continues in a way they would not like, uh, still down towards the bottom end of the ladder. We expected more from them, given that they made the AFLW Grand Final this uh, this seat or the season just gone. So uh, they've been a hard team to pick. They've had a lot of AFLW talent in. Um, so just it, it's puzzling, I think, uh, would be the only way to describe why they haven't clicked into gear for the VFLW season. There could be development reasons behind that. We know that not all sides are focused on the, the, the winning aspect or don't place as much importance on winning. It's more about testing the versatility of the players and preparing them for AFLW. But I think we would have expected them to be a little higher on the ladder given the, the talent that they've had consistently running around on the park. Uh, Vessio kicked the goal on the weekend. So too did Wilson. Leeton and Gurr for Carlton, for Collingwood, Lambert kicked two, Alexander, Kiochi and Hales. And before I throw back to you, Pete, I just want you to ponder something. At this stage of the season, and con considering she's played most of the games so far, is the favourite for the best and fairest this year, Jamie Lambert from the Magpies? I would say so. Lauren Pierce might be trying to throw down a challenge for that, for her ruck work at uh, Darabin. But I would agree that Lambert would be uh, at the top, or at least the favourite, because she's also leading the goal-kicking table as well. So if you're racking up possessions and you're kicking goals... 
pretty good chance you're going to get a lot of three-vote games. So 23 touches she had on the weekends, uh, as we mentioned, two goals as well, 16 kicks, seven handballs, two marks, two tackles. And that's probably been consistent. I reckon that's around the average that she's been getting throughout the season. So um, I'd be looking at her. I know Lauren Pierce has been very good, but I think the fact that Pierce has been in a side where they're they're not getting the results, I think that might hurt her. What's going to hurt Lambert is the fact that there's stars around her which could be stealing votes um, and having X-Factor type of game. So that could be just the one issue there, but she certainly should poll consistently. Uh, Madison Prasparkas was the other leading position getter on the ground on the weekend, racking up 22 touches. And uh, the, the top of the list is actually quite um, star-studded. Kiochi 20 touches, Davey 19 against their old side. Uh, Loins 17, the next best behind Prasparkas for Carlton. Let's go out to Casey Fields at Cranbourne East. A one-point thriller. The Demons getting over the line against the Falcons. 2-6-18 to 2-5-17. Do we, do we call a, a two-goal performance a thriller? I'm just scratching my head. Um, oh, okay. Call it we... a scrap fest if you want to. But I'll go with a thriller. <laughs> one point. <laughs> wasn't going to be that brutal. But anyway, we'll move on. Um, yeah, well... I, I would have thought, now this is interesting because if Casey were a legitimate chance at a top six spot, and I said last week I don't think that they'd be able to make it, but if they were to have been, they should have smashed Darabin on the weekend. Um, given Darabin didn't score in the opening turn, they only kicked it behind uh, in the third um, and then came home fairly strongly in the final term. I actually wonder, just looking at the scoreline, whether wind may have been an issue. We know how bad it can get out at Casey Fields um, of a weekend, but off the top of my head, I don't think it was too windy where I was on Sunday. So um, whether weather was an issue there, who knows? Um, but um, a, a, a very, there's this word again, intriguing scoreline. The fact that the Casey Demons were only able to muster two goals, six, and Darabin able to push them effectively, 2-5-17. Um, to, to me, it just means, Casey, they're, they're just missing that that little bit extra that uh, if they were to be one of the top sides of the competition, uh, they just don't have that. And, um, we've mentioned a few times it's a, it's a younger Demons list. They don't have as many stars uh throughout the course of the VFLW season is what Melbourne has in the AFLW. So, um, yeah, it's just it's, it's disappointing because they started the season so well and there was a fair bit of promise too and they were very competitive in games. But, um, yeah, just a really intriguing scoreline. Uh, Hall was the goal kicker for Casey with their two, Fairchild and Morris Dalton, uh, the Northern Knights under-18 girls player, uh, kicked a goal on the weekend as well for the Darabin Falcons. The leading possession getters on the ground, Lily Mithin, 26 touches against the side that she played for last year in the VFLW. Uh, Lauren Pierce racking up 25 touches in addition to 35 hit outs. Elise Day also got 24 touches against uh, her effectively AFLW club. In fact, both Lauren Pierce and Elise Day are Melbourne listed players. So, uh, ironic that they were the leading possession getters for Darabin. I wonder whether they shared some in- intel 
to allow Darabin to restrict Casey on the weekend. Let's go down to GMHBA Stadium where Geelong took on the NT Thunder. This was seventh versus eighth. And I think the NT Thunder's finals chances have just been all but snuffed out now. They only got 3-1-19 on the weekend while the Cats racked up 9-8-62. Yeah, unfortunately for the NT Thunder, it just hasn't been the season that they would have liked. To, uh, we, we understand that, or, and we know that they've had issues this year in terms of getting a consistent side out on the park. There's been um, just they've been a little more uh, flexible with their players in being able to manage their their time, not only spent on the road in, in terms of travelling, but also in terms of managing um, training and, and all that sort of thing. So we, we do know that they they do have not excuses, but reasons for just dropping off the pace a little bit this year, given that they were one of the top sides of the competition last year. The, the Cats, they're pressing. They're, they are on on the bubble when it comes to a top six spot, uh, currently just sitting outside. They're equal on points with Melbourne University, but have uh, a worse percentage. It's 129.1% to 101.1%. So, um, that, that's a that's a big percentage to make up. So they virtually need to win every game from here on in Geelong and doing what they did on the weekend is going to be required and they've got some uh, pretty uh, strong opposition over the coming weeks. So Geelong are going to be one to watch whether they sneak in or drop out considering they were a grand finalist of last year. Karras kicked two goals for them on the weekend. Clark Vanderhoeven also kicked two. Benham... Maguire and Woollett, the other goal kickers, whilst Roberts, Thorne and Wan were the goal kickers for the Northern Territory Thunder on the weekend. Uh, Danielle All, All uh, kick, uh, racked up 25 touches on the weekend. She also had four scoring opportunities, kicking four behinds, laid on four tackles as well. Ebony Marinoff, uh, the leading position getter on the ground. Of course, the Adelaide Crows listed player playing for the Northern Territory Thunder, racked up 25 touches as well and also laid 19 tackles. And to the final game of the round, which could be almost called the game of the year thus far. Melbourne University, 8 4 at gunned by Hawthorne, 12 so does this overtake our 200th match broadcast game between Carlton and the Northern Territory Thunder, Pete? That was a thriller, but I think this tops it. This was, including, as Lucy Watkins said, at one stage there was a score every two minutes. That's incredible. Um, have, have a look at the names here that have kicked goals. So we'll start with Melbourne University. Angelus kicked two. Gillespie Jones kicked two. Ashmore, Garner, Walsh and Whitford. Some prominent names there. On the other side of the equation for Hawthorne, Tamara Luke kicked three goals. Sarah Perkins kicked three goals. Flanagan kicked two. Gibbs two. Beeson and McWilliams also scoring majors. That is a star-studded lineup that uh, assembled for both clubs on the weekend. And Hawthorne... In the in the end, they had a brilliant third term where they put on six goals uh, and restricted Melbourne University to only getting one goal too. Um, and that really, they restricted them in the second half. They, they only scored two goals too for the second half, Melbourne University. So Hawthorne were able to blow them away. Dominant performance uh, from them. It's 
probably what we expected. Um, maybe a slight statement from the Hawks coming into form at the right time of year. We've been questioning their season to date. They've been hard to read in terms of where they sit in the overall scheme of things. But I think this game on the weekend, you were there, so you'd be able to provide better insight, Pete. But I just get the sense this was a little statement from Hawthorne saying, remember who we are and remember what we did this time last year. So I'd be nervous if I was facing Hawthorne in the next couple of weeks because I think that finally, finally, it's taken the most of the season that they are getting to the stage where they're firing on all cylinders, which is a scary prospect for the competition. Rebecca Beeson racked up 24 touches for them on the weekend to be the leading possession getter on the ground, also laid four tackles. Kate Gillespie-Jones, the best for Melbourne University, 21 disposals, two goals uh, and five tackles. Seeing the Hawthorne players uh, after the game and just chatting briefly to one or two of them as they went by, I wouldn't call it a sense of arrogance, but there's that kind of feeling you got from them that they were very pleased with themselves, what they did on the weekend, and almost a sense of when we play the right style, this is what we can do to teams. And you're kind of seeing the wheels click in their head of we're back. And that could be very frightening for the rest of the competition. It's almost the same. We're almost at the same point as what we were last year, weren't we? Where Hawthorne dropped that game to Darabin and then after that they didn't really look back. I wonder whether this has been a plan from Paddy Hill all along. They just do, do what they needed to do. I mean, where they sit on the ladder, they're not comfortably inside the top six, but uh, at the moment they've done enough and I wonder whether they should have probably picked up a couple of more wins here and there throughout the course of the season. But just wonder whether this is all part of the grand scheme of things because it's the second year in a row Hawthorne have had, had a similar sort of form line as they've headed towards finals. Yes, because it was them and Darabin battling for a, a spot in the top four last year and, uh, and it was roughly around the same time. So very eerily similar to uh, season 2018 when they took the flag. Western Bulldogs had the bye for the round. So let's have a look ahead to round 14. And we begin on Saturday. All games, by, by the way, are on Saturday. Uh, Carlton v Richmond, 11am at La Trobe University in Bundura. Yeah, interesting game, this one. Um, it's um, I'm not going to go with Carlton again. I don't think I can tip them, but I think Richmond need to make another statement. They, they need to demonstrate that they've got the consistency back into their game that they had in the very early part of the season where they were knocking off sides, they were dominant, they were, they were just smacking sides, essentially, wiping them off the park. They've lulled away in the last month or so. I think they've got a glimpse of it on the weekend against, albeit one of the bottom sides of the competition. They're coming up against another side that's down the bottom end of the ladder. So they really need to put in another big performance here, Richmond. Just get a booster for their confidence because they're going to come up against sides that are, that are going to be firing all cylinders come finals. So they need to start to build some consistency I think they should be able to do that. Um, probably about a five or six goal margin, I think this game should be. But uh, given Richmond scoring shots on the weekend, it could be even more. 
Saturday, 11.30am at Downer Oval. Williamstown play host to Darabin. Yeah, well, how do you read this one? Um, Darabin just falling short against Casey on the weekend. Williamstown not in the greatest of form. I think the season might just be starting to get to them. They're fatiguing and starting to fall away. I think Darabin have got just a couple of players with more experience. Your Lauren Pierce, your Aliso Day. Um, if Arnell plays as well, that's a, that's another bit of class in that side. So I think Darabin should have the cattle to get the job done. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Williamstown just gave it one last hurrah for the season. It's probably one of their best chances to get a win on the board. They faced Geelong and then Essendon in the final few rounds of the home and away season. So this is probably their their best chance in those, those three games to get a win on the board. And we know that they finished the season off fairly strongly last year when they beat Melbourne University. So hoping for a close contest, but I think Darabin should be able to get the job done. Saturday, 1pm at Box Hill City Oval. Uh, unconfirmed at this stage, but most likely will be our game of the week. That means we'll be on air at 12pm. Hawthorne versus the Casey Demons. Yeah, this, uh, well, we were just talking before about Hawthorne. Um, I get the impression Casey might be in for a very difficult game. I think, uh, as we alluded to, I think Hawthorne's hit their straps and they're not going to look back. So this should be similar to the Richmond-Carlton game. I think Hawthorne should win this game uh, probably more than seven or eight goals. I think they're, they're looking, they've got, it's almost like, um, well, like when an animal, like when a carnivore gets the smell of blood and gets gets the rush, I think Hawthorne have got a bit of that about them at the moment, and uh, we just need to watch them to see what they're going to be able to do in the back end of the season. And there's another game on at one o'clock on Saturday. I'll come back to that in a minute or two's time because there's a few things I've got to explain about it. But I'll jump ahead to Saturday, four p.m. VU Witten Oval. The Western Bulldogs versus Essendon. This game is intriguing because obviously the Bulldogs are coming off the bye and you only think what could have been if Essendon had managed to cause that upset and beaten the Southern Saints. We then would have had a situation where Essendon were a mathematical chance of making the finals with the Western Bulldogs coming off a bye. Oh, how interesting that would have been. And Essendon in the final two rounds have Collingwood and Williamstown, so they could have, they, they had a sniff, as you said, that I think it's all but over now for them. Um, the Western Bulldogs, they're another interesting case. And again, it's this, this game's intriguing from the perspective that the Western Bulldogs have had such an up and down year that we can't read where they're going to fall, fall on the ladder and how much of a threat they are to the top sides of the competition. The Bombers are capable of causing an upset, but maybe just lack that little bit um, of composure to be able to get the job done. I actually don't know where to go with this one, Pete. Logic says to go with the Western Bulldogs based on where they sit on the ladder. But Essendon's form has been very impressive and starting to get to the point where you can't ignore it. I think I'm going to have to go with the heart. I think I'm going to go the way of the Bombers to cause a bit of an upset against the Western Bulldogs, which means the Bulldogs then fall back into the trap of the bottom end of the top six. 
Indeed, puts them in an uncomfortable position. But uh, hearing from Sean Kavanagh, I believe the Bulldogs will be getting back some of their star players. But Christy Williams does say that 80% of teams coming off the bye do lose in their first game back. So read into that what you will. Talking about the bye, teams that do have the bye for the round include the Southern Saints, the NT Thunder, and Collingwood technically have a bye. They will not be playing for premiership points, but they will be playing a game on Sunday. 3 p.m. bounce at Victoria Park. We'll be live on air at 2 p.m. on RSN Carnival 2. Coxie, that is the last of the GWS Invitational matches, the Pies versus the Giants. Thank you. And just, just before we move to that, the, the, the bunk Christy Williams theory, uh, Hawthorne were coming off the bye last week. So leading to that, what you will uh, well, they, they smash they, Melbourne University. They, they were part of the 20%. So look at it that way. <laughs> righto, righto. Yes. Um, well, <sighs> These GWS Invitational games, I don't, I don't want to spoil the party because earlier in, the, earlier in the year, I was actually looking forward to them and, and looking forward to seeing what they were capable of doing. But the, 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 as the games have rolled out across the season, we know that the VFLW sides haven't been prepared to put the best team on the park. They've been very conservative. They're putting either youth or or players from uh, their reserves or lower de- local footy competitions. So um, I, I don't – I mean, GWS should win. They should win this one um, because I don't think Collingwood will select a, a full-strength side. If they do uh, by chance and given where they currently sit, Collingwood, they're a side that – you're starting to scratch your head about where they might end up given their recent form where they've just been getting over the line. They need a solid performance. They need a solid hit out. Um, and against GWS, they're probably going to get, get that given GWS have put in a, a fairly strong side of talent from AFLW or, or under-18 talent as well. So it, it depends on, on what side is selected. Um, so based on that, I'm going to go with GWS because I, I just think uh, Collingwood, like all the other teams have been this year, uh, probably apart from Williamstown, uh, the very first game, I think they'll be very conservative and put a very uh, young side out onto the park on the weekend. I will throw at you the fact that bar the Williamstown game and the other three games that the GWS played, uh, immediately after that match, they've played sides into form. After Richmond lost to them, Richmond would win five in a row. Melbourne Uni recaptured form after a 100-point shellacking from the Giants. Then Essendon, for the first time ever, won two in a row again after playing the GWS Giants. So if you got, you got your interesting theories rolling out here, you, you think if Collingwood put in a B-grade side, that their A-grade players are going to come out in some good form heading into finals. Not only that, but I think it makes the VFLW players rise to the challenge after playing against a higher standard. That's a very good way of looking at it. But, geez, Pete, you're, you're on the ball this week. Well, let me bring out one final game, and you're going to be gobsmacked by the stats that I bring out uh, on this. Geelong Cats versus Melbourne University at Deakin University in Geelong. Bounced down at 1pm. It's a game we would have liked to have brought to you, but unfortunately, um, despite it being a quote-unquote elite facility, there's actually no shelter for supporters or the media. So with forecasts of 6 to 10 millimetres of rain with thunderstorm and hail, we thought, yeah, better not. (laughs) So that's why we've looked at another venue. We would have liked to have been at that game. But again, this is 6th versus 7th. 
this is a game that's going to have massive implications on what happens in the finals. And I'll explain that after your tip. Well, I'm not really prepared to give you one at the moment without having seen what the selected sides are for this weekend. Um, just before we do, do run through that, just given that the Cats play Williamstown next week, Melbourne University have the bye. The Cats then face Carlton and Melbourne University have the thunder. So you'd expect Geelong to win their games and Melbourne University to win their game against the thunder which, on my calculations, would that put Geelong in front of Melbourne University on the ladder? This is how it all breaks down. Should Geelong win this game? At the end of the round, there'll be one win ahead of Melbourne University. Then Melbourne University have the bye. Therefore, if in round 15 or round 16, Geelong win one more game, Uni can't get in. So it's simple as that. If Geelong win this and then one out of the last two where they're playing the bottom two sides in the last two weeks, Melbourne Uni a shutout, Geelong a sixth. That's it for Melbourne University. Should Melbourne University win this game, they'll be one win ahead at the end of the round, but then they have a bye. So then if Geelong beat Weemstown, which is the bottom side, the sides will be level bar percentage, which Melbourne Uni had the advantage at the present time going into the final round. Then Geelong play Carlton, the second last side in the final round. That's on the Saturday. If Geelong win, they are ahead of Melbourne University by a win and who knows what percentage. The only game being played on a Sunday in the final round of the VFL women's season is Melbourne University versus the NT Thunder. So... Should Melbourne University win this weekend against the Cats, it will all actually come down to Melbourne University versus the Thunder. A, if University can win, and B, possibly by how much? Well, I was going to say percentage comes into this massively because you'd expect the Cats to get some strong victories in in their two games. So they'll get a percentage boost. Whether it's enough, probably not. I think Melbourne University have enough distance on them when it comes to that. It's just under, what is that? That's about 18% that Geelong need to make up. Given their opposition. And that's why this game is crucial, because if the Cats win against Melbourne University in the close one, that kind of does Melbourne Uni a bit of a favour. But if the Cats can bring up a big victory, let's say four or five goals, that not only gives them a percentage boost, but it hurts Melbourne Uni at the same time. Yeah, so this, this this is really hard to read. This is really hard to read. Um, I'm going to lean the way of Melbourne University, um, even though it is going to be played down in Geelong. I think the weather conditions will just suit Melbourne University a little bit more if the, the anticipated forecast comes off. Um I think Geelong just like to be a little more skillful with the footy. I think Melbourne University can play that harder game of footy as we've seen them do at Tin Alley in very boggy conditions. Um, flip side of that though is Geelong. Geelong have good, like I think their bottom six would potentially be stronger than Melbourne University's bottom six. 
Um, so again, this game, almost similar to the Collingwood GWS game we were talking about a little earlier, it comes down to what team rolls out onto the park and you're going to expect that both of these sides are going to put very strong sides in. Um, as I said, I'll lean the way of Melbourne University at the moment, but I'd prefer to reserve judgment until the teams are released on Thursday night because this this, this has the potential to be the match of the season. I know that'll knock off your, your game from last weekend in Hawthorne, Melbourne University, but this, if both sides are desperate enough, if they're hungry enough for the footy, we're going to get a ripping contest. Well, Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here on RSN Carnival. We look forward to your company next week when we break down another round of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. Yep, and the uh, bacon and eggs and coffee will be back on the table. And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. This program is now available as a podcast by going to the RSN website, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Don't forget, you can find us online at warfradio.com via Twitter or Facebook. Just search WARF Radio. Until next Wednesday at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time, I'm Peter Holden and it's bye for now.